0: So, today we are going to be continuing on in our series in the Psalms. So, we've got a Summer in the Psalms series where we're learning to pray. We're looking at how we can pray in different situations and in different circumstances. And specifically this morning, we are looking at Psalm 51. So, for those of you that don't know, Psalm 51 is a song written by King David who. I'm sure many of you know was one of the most revered Old Testament kings of Israel. And in understanding the situation that David found himself when he wrote this psalm, it is particularly helpful because it includes at the beginning a note to the choirmaster that says this: A psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So we know that David wrote this psalm after he'd slept with Bathsheba. And to more fully help us appreciate the situation, the circumstance that David was in when writing it, before we actually read the psalm, we're going to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12, where we read Nathan confronting David for this sin of sleeping with Bathsheba. So it's 2 Samuel chapter 12 verse 1 and the Lord sent Nathan to David he came to him and said to him there were two men in a certain city the one rich and the other poor the rich man had very many flocks and herds but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb which he had bought and he brought it up and it grew up with him and with his children Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah, and if this were too little, I would add to you as much More. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the Anamites. Now, here we see the extent of David's sin when he wrote this Psalm. It was so bad that when Nathan told him the allegorical tale of the lamb and the rich man stealing that from the poor man, David himself, it says, his anger was greatly kindled. And then Nathan points out that it was he, David, that in this story is the rich man who deserves the anger of God kindled against him. And it is shocking When we consider who king david is to consider what he did he took uriah the hittite's wife and it's not clear through the narrative as to how consensual this was but put it this way david was the king of israel bathsheba probably wouldn't have had much choice at the very least david took advantage of his position in sleeping with her. And then earlier in the book of 2 Samuel, it tells us that when she became pregnant, David firstly tried to get her husband Uriah, who was a soldier, back to sleep with her so that it would hide David's guilt. And the baby that was to be born, it would appear as though it was Uriah's child. But Uriah, out of loyalty to his fellow soldiers, out of loyalty to Israel, ultimately out of loyalty to David, and to God, he refused to come back. So David sent Uriah to the front line and ordered his comrades to abandon him in the midst of battle. So he ended up getting killed at the sword of the Amorites. And then as we've read, David confronts Nathan in order to convict him of his guilt in this matter. So let's turn to Psalm 51, where we see how David responded in this song. We're gonna begin first just by reading the first two verses. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Okay, the first thing that we can notice here is that when David is confronted with his sin, he recognizes his need for forgiveness. He cries out to God for mercy, and he begs that God would blot out his transgressions and that he would cleanse him of his sins. And a good question to ask yourself this morning is how do you respond when you are confronted by your sin? Either if somebody else points something out to you, Or if you feel a conviction of the Holy Spirit, how do you respond? Like David, do you immediately recognize your need for forgiveness, your need for cleansing, and wholeheartedly confess your sin, as we see here? Or do you turn away from God and drive deeper into sin, maybe as a way of numbing yourself from the truth of who God is? Or perhaps for some, maybe the temptation is to deny that your sin is even a problem. Maybe rationalizing that you're gossiping is it's, it's okay because the people that you're gossiping about are less godly than you and more sinful than you anyway, so it's it's all right. Or maybe you think that your lust issue is under control because you're looking at porn, yeah, but you're not actually physically sleeping with another person. You're not physically committing adultery. After all, these things are not nearly as serious as what we've just seen from David, are they? Well, here Jesus himself answers this way of thinking in the Sermon of the Mount. In Matthew 5, verses 21 and 22, he says this. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother... Will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Then, jumping forward to verse 27 You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart if your right eye causes you to sin tear it out and throw it away for it is better to lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell we see clear clearly here from jesus that all sin even if it's only committed in our hearts all sin is worthy of the fires of hell whether like david you've taken somebody else's wife and you've murdered that person, or if you've called somebody a fool, the consequence, according to Jesus, is the same. So our response must be also, like David, when we sin, to recognize our need for forgiveness and to throw ourselves on God's mercy. But you might be sat here right now thinking, this just doesn't seem right, how, how can it be fair That the punishment for calling somebody a fool, the punishment for having lust in your heart, how is it so that that is the same as taking another man's wife, making her pregnant, and then killing that man? And on the face of things, it seems like a pretty reasonable question, doesn't it? How can these smaller things be that serious? Well, let's turn back to the psalm, Psalm 51, and read verses 3 and 4. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Now here we see David is rightly so racked with guilt for what he has done. He says his sin is ever before him. He can't get it out of his mind. So what is the source of David's guilt? Is it because his actions caused Bathsheba to sin? Or is it because maybe in what he did, he's caused immense pain and suffering for Uriah the Hittite's family? Of course, Uriah the Hittite was a husband. He was a, a son. He was probably a brother, certainly a friend to the soldiers that he served so loyally with. And he was taken in his prime by the king who had everything. Surely that's a reason for David to feel guilty and feel repentant of his sin. And no doubt David would have known guilt for these reasons. Of course he would. But the primary reason is found in verse 4. Against you, you only, God, have I sinned. And done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgments. Although David had sinned against Bathsheba and against Uriah, he saw his sin as primarily being against God. He refers to his sin as evil in God's sight. Sin is never unseen by the eyes of God. As Hebrews 4. 13 points out, all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And this applies to our sin. Now, sometimes we can try to imagine what God is like. And obviously we know a lot about who he is from the Bible. And we can picture Jesus, maybe this is me, but I can picture Jesus as a man, and I can read about all of the things he did in the Old Testament. I think, yeah, I can, I can really picture who Jesus is. But as I picture Jesus as a man, sometimes it's easy to lose sight of his deity. We can fall into the trap of thinking that Jesus is like us, but better. Now, this view of God falls infinitely short of the truth he is far greater he is far more magnificent than our minds can even imagine there are two important words that describe who god is he is holy that means he is set apart he is spotless he is entirely perfect and he is just everything that jesus everything that god does is right he is morally flawless He cannot allow injustice to go unpunished. The result of his holiness is that all sin is so abhorrent to him, he cannot tolerate it in his presence. And more than this, because he is just, he cannot allow sin, your sin, my sin, no matter how small we may see it as being, he cannot allow it to go unpunished which is why we read in the first half of Romans 6.26, for the wages of sin is death, all sin. So like David, we need to see that when we sin, no matter what we've done, primarily we have sinned against a perfectly holy and a completely just God, which should bring us into a place of incredible humility before him not making excuses for why we have sinned, for why we've done what we've done, but rather recognizing that anything that we receive from him other than eternal punishment is the greatest mercy imaginable. Okay, let's carry on reading, picking up from verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now here we see David recognizing the sinful state that he was born into, the sinful state that we are all born into. As humans, as sons of Adam, we are by nature sinners. This is not something that by our own strength we can do anything about. No matter how much I wish that I didn't sin, by myself I am powerless to pull myself out of the state of of my sinful nature, as Romans 3:23 tells us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us, and as we've just read in the first half of Romans 6:26, the wages of sin, this sin that we've all committed, the wages of this, the result of this, the 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 natural um, uh, this naturally leads to, is is death. This is this is bleak, isn't it? We've just read that we are all sinners. There is nothing that we can do about it. We were born into it, and the result of our sin is death. Let's keep reading Psalm 51 to see if there's any hope. Verses 6 to 9. Behold, you delight in truth, in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Here David recognizes that in his sinful state, as we've said, he cannot save himself. Which is so important for us to see because the temptation can maybe to try and pile up good works in order to earn ourselves some credit with God that maybe counteract the sin that's in our life. Maybe by giving money to somebody who's in need or, or by treating someone kindly who's treated you badly as though this will somehow help us to, 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 to earn credit before God. But as we read in Isaiah 64, 6, we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. The literal translation here is a rather stronger term than polluted garment because it's intended to show that the good that anybody does, if it's out of an impure heart, which to reiterate is the state that everybody here is born into, no exceptions, then to our holy God, It is repulsive. No matter what good works you do, if they're out of your strength, then you can never do right before God by your own merit. Ever. So, like David, we need a Savior. Let's read from verse 7 again Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. And we can pray along with David and have confidence. That we will be cleansed, that God will know our sins no more, that our in- iniquities will be blotted out. How is this possible? If God is perfect in holiness, if God is perfect in justice, then of course we know that our sin creates a chasm between us that we cannot bridge because we have fallen infinitely short. So, how is this possible? Well, of course, it is possible because we have a perfect savior in Jesus. He lived a spotless life, meaning that he and he alone has satisfied God's righteous requirements. Meaning that he and he alone is the only one worthy to pay the penalty that is due to us, which means What he did on the cross in taking the punishment in our place, he satisfied the perfectly righteous, holy God's wrath. So gloriously, we can pray and we can sing along with this psalm of David, that if we're putting our hope in him, then we can be whiter than snow. If we're putting our hope in Jesus, then we, like David, are clothed in righteousness, earned for us by Jesus. We can know joy and we can know gladness. Our iniquities, if we're putting our hope in Jesus, are no more. But as anybody who's ever been trapped in a cycle of sin will know, is it doesn't always feel this easy, does it? What often happens is maybe we're trapped in sin and we try to pray, And we'll follow this pattern that we see from david in the psalms but we get stuck and maybe we we give up we start to feel hopeless when we get to verse six so as in verses one and two we can see and be disgusted by our sin we can recognize our need for forgiveness and then in verses three and four just as david did we can understand the extent of our sin and who it was committed against and we can cringe before a holy God. And then as in verses five and six, we can realize that in our sinful nature, we can do nothing to save ourselves. But we must never stop there because that is of course, a place of condemnation. Our prayers must move into verses seven, eight and nine, where we see Jesus as our savior, as our redeemer. And we must understand that by his wounds, we are forgiven we are free, we are washed clean. But sometimes, like I say, this is hard, all of us, because we know the secret places of our heart, because maybe we are more aware of our own depravity than we like to let on to other people. We can be tempted that what Jesus did does not apply to us. Sure, it applies to everybody else, but does it really apply to me? My sin is too deep. My condemnation is inevitable and feeling like that is natural because our condemnation as we've seen this morning is just and it is right but for jesus who changes everything let's be reminded of this truth if you could turn with me to romans 8 verses 32 to 39 Romans 8:32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who should bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is how much he loves us. So like David, we can enter confidently into God's presence, securing the knowledge that we're found in him. And please, if this morning you are trapped in a cycle of sin and you just keep going round and round and round and you are unable to get into this place where you can see beyond it and you're unable to trust and to believe that Jesus can forgive you, then meditate on these verses. Get somebody else to be praying for you as well. We need to move beyond our sin and into the forgiveness that Jesus gives us. The extent of your sin, no matter how bad, look at what David did. Even if you've done more, you've done worse than that in your eyes. The extent of your sin is not greater than the redemptive power of the cross. If you come before him repentant, trusting in Jesus, then he is just and right to forgive you. And once we've entered into his presence, once we've received God's forgiveness and we've been clothed with the righteousness of Jesus, this isn't the end of the story. This is amazing that we've received this forgiveness, but Jesus has even more for us. Let's turn back to Psalm 51 and read verses 10 to 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Now when we're in need of repentance, just as our prayers should not stop at verse 6, where we're in condemnation, neither should they stop at verse 9, where we've received forgiveness. God offers even more than this. God offers to change us. He offers to renew our, our spirits through the power of the Holy Spirit, who He has given to us. And as David prays in verse 12, what this will do for us, it will restore to us the same joy that we first experienced, that we first encountered when we first met with Him, when we first knew the truth of who Christ is, and it will enable our spirits to be willing to be aligned with God. This is what He wants for us. He wants us to find our joy in Him, and He wants our hearts to be like His heart. It's like when I discipline one of my children for trying to drown another one of my children. I don't just want them to say, or I don't just want them to feel sorry nor do I want them to be merely obedient to me by not drowning the child that was being drowned when I turned my back. That would, it would be nice. It would be a good start, but that's not what I'm seeking when I'm disciplining them. What I'm really after is a change in their heart. I want them to agree with me. I want to be in alignment that drowning your brother or your sister is not the right thing to do. And this is what Jesus wants from us When we sin, true repentance is not saying sorry. True repentance is not even feeling bad. It's not even committing to changing your ways and being obedient to God in the future. Complete repentance requires a heart change so that our wills line up with Jesus's will and that the joy we find in him far outweighs lesser pleasures. That is true repentance, but we can't change our own hearts. So as we repent, like David, we should be pleading with God that he will do this for us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And through this, we can know freedom from whatever it is that holds us captive. And again, because of what Jesus has done for us, we can be confident that when we pray this prayer, align my spirit with yours, we can be confident that if we remain repentant. Jesus will do this. Okay, let's read the final verses, 13 to 19. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise for you will not delight in sacrifice or i would give it to you you will not be pleased with a burnt offering the sacrifices of god are a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart O god you will not despise do good to zion in your good pleasure build up the walls of jerusalem then will you delight in right sacrifices in burnt offerings and the whole burnt offerings then bulls will be offered on your altar okay so up until now in this psalm what we've seen is david he's, he's as we've seen he's, he's he's understood his his need for forgiveness he's recognized the importance of his sin he's he's seen who it is that he sinned against ultimately that he has sinned against a holy and perfect and just god and he's understood that because of this he needs a savior which he has pleaded with god to do and he's asked god to change him to create within him a clean spirit. But we see a shift now in David's focus. It's moved away from David's relationship with God and it's moved on to how David will serve him, how he will proclaim the truth of God's name so that others too will serve and will return to Jesus. David promises, it says, to teach transgressors, that is, people who are turning away from Jesus. He promises to sing aloud of God's righteousness, to declare his praise, and then out of compassion to his fellow people who, who based on what David is saying, clearly are not also walking with God. He pleads on their behalf that they, like him, would be broken over their sin so that God would again delight in their sacrifices. So a question to ask is, why is David doing this? Why has David been praying receiving forgiveness from Jesus, receiving forgiveness from God, why then all of a sudden is he saying, I'm going to declare your name to others? Is he doing it maybe to earn credit with God? Well, we know that can't be the case because we've just seen that it is by grace and by grace alone that we receive all that Jesus has to offer for us. So this can't be it. Rather, it would seem that this is just the next step in David's journey of repentance and restoration, as God changes David's heart and David sees all that God has done, this is the natural response to God's grace. When we understand the extent to which we've been forgiven, when we grasp the glory of the one that we worship, when we experience his goodness towards us, this should seriously impact our view Of those that don't know him. As I said earlier, God is both holy and he is just. So if our sin is not atoned for by Jesus, we cannot know him. And the Bible tells us that there will be a day he will come back to judge the earth. And those that have not had their sins forgiven, those that have not had their sins atoned for, will be separated from him for an eternity in hell. If we fully understand for ourselves, That we have received this incredible undeserved mercy then of course of course of course like david our hearts will break for people that do not know him particularly those that we know and we love we should be urgent to tell people the good news of jesus to tell them of the incredible forgiveness that we have received to tell them of the redemption that is available in him and if we don't feel this to the extent that we are willing to overcome our fear of man to tell people about who jesus is then we need to ask ourselves some questions have we really understood the horror of our sin and our desperate need for forgiveness? Do we see the majesty, do we see the glory of the one who our sin has been committed against? Do we realize that our good deeds cannot save us, only Jesus can? Are we pleading with God that he would change us, he would create within us a clean heart? Are we pleading with God that our joy would be found in him? And if we're not answering yes, to each of these things, then we've maybe not fully grasped the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We're holding on to a belief about Jesus that is untrue. But again, gloriously, there is forgiveness for this. As with all sin, we need to confess it to Jesus. As we read in 1 John 1 9, if we confess our sins, he is Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a kind and generous Lord we serve. Even where we're faithless, He is faithful. So Grace Church, let's use this psalm. Let's use other psalms like this to help us as we confess our sins, as we pray prayers of repentance. And then because of Jesus's sacrifice, like David, we can have full confidence that he will forgive, restore, and renew us, putting in our mouths the truths of the gospel so that we can be used to bring glory to him.